We are continuing on the chronological life of Jesus, and we are in Luke chapter 10. So this is again, this is within the last six month period of his life, Luke chapter 10, reading from verse 1. Now after this, the Lord appointed 70 others, and he sent them in pairs ahead of him to every city and place where he himself was going to come. And he was saying to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore beseech the Lord of harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go, behold, I am sending you as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no no money, no belt, no bag, no shoes, and greet no one on the way. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. But if not, it will return to you. Stay in that house, eating and drinking what they give you, for the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not keep moving from house to house. But whatever city you enter enter and they receive you, eat what is set before you, and heal those in it who are sick, and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. But whatever city you enter and they do not receive you, go out into the streets and say, even the dust of your city which clings to our feet, we wipe off and protest against you. Yet be sure of this, that the kingdom of God has come near to you. I say to you, it will be more tolerable tolerable on that day for Sodom than for this city. Woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, which occurred in you, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will not be exalted to heaven, will you? You will be brought down to Hades. The one who listens to you listens to me, and he who rejects you rejects me, and he who rejects me rejects the one who sent me. Okay, so in Luke chapter 1, Jesus is now sending out the 70. Before we had seen him send out the 12 to to practice their, their outreach skills, Now he's sending out 70. So there were many disciples that followed Jesus beyond just the 12. The 12 were the inner circle that were with him all the time. That There were were other disciples that followed along. And he's chosen now 70 of them. And he sent them out in pairs ahead of him to every city and place where he himself was going to come. That's in Luke chapter 10 verse 1. So he is preparing, he is sending them out to prepare the cities that he is going to visit. The cities that he's going to spend probably a few days in each of these cities because he's got five or six months left. And he's going to spend a few days in each one of those cities before the end, before he'll head up to Jerusalem. And he's sending them out in pairs. So that means there's 35 pairs because we have 70 going out. That means that there's going to be at least 35 cities and villages that he's going to visit. Now, it might be more than that, but it's going to be at least that many. Maybe they'll go from one, he's designated a pair of two to visit a couple of cities. We don't know, but it's at least 35 cities and villages that they're going out to prepare for, for, for his final coming. And he was saying to them in verse 2, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. We're going we're to capture this verse and spend a lot of time on it. So let me just press on. We'll come back to verse 2. 
Go, behold, I send you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Look at the analogy. I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. This isn't even sheep in the midst of wolves. This is lambs. These are bite-sized, you know, this is just finger food for, for these wolves. Can you imagine a pack of wolves and you release just a bunch of lambs into this pack of wolves? You, have you ever had a big dog and you, you hold up a biscuit in front of them and you just see the saliva just dripping? And then they just start licking their chops? This is the picture of the wolves. He's sending out not sheep. Before, remember, he was talking about how he was shepherd of the sheep. He's saying, for you guys, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. You know, lambs are just, just easy food. They can't run very fast. All they do is just kind of stare at you when you come up to them. And uh, uh, they're, they're, they're just um, chewy on the outside, crunchy on the inside. They're just um, uh, soft little delicacies for a bunch of wolves. This is the analogy that he gives them. I mean, why would you empower people like this? You're not saying, you know, just go get them. Oh, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves, by the way. This is how I'm sending you out. Why send us out this way? Why not just send us out with great encouragement? I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Then he talks about protection that's going to be on them. But for right now, he's saying, if I were not with you, if my hand were not with you, you would be utterly consumed. Utterly consumed were it not for my hand. This is like lambs in the midst of wolves. Jesus sends us out and He protects us and He watches over us. Had it not been for His protection, we would be utterly consumed. Then He says, go. He says, carry no money belt no bag, no shoes, and greet no one on the way. Now, if you want to make a theology out of this, you're going to have a hard time. Hard to make a theology out of this, because, because uh, if, if you look in, in, in Luke 22, verse 35, when he sends them out later, he says, and he said to them, when I sent you out without money belt and bag and sandals, did you lack anything? They said, no, nothing. This is in Luke 22:35. So he was teaching them in this instance to go out with nothing. I am going to sustain you. These are lessons he wanted them to learn. But ultimately, when the end comes, he's saying, did you lack anything? And they said, no. So God is able to sustain you when your hands are not full. He's able to sustain you. But he's not saying that that is the principle for Christian living. Because he says in verse 36 of Luke 22, And now he said to them, But now whoever has money, a money belt is to take it along, likewise a bag, and whoever has no sword is to sell his coat and buy one. For I tell you, tell you that this which is written must be fulfilled in me, and he was numbered among transgressors, so, so, that, so that which refers to me has its fulfillment." They said, Lord, look, here are two swords. And he said to them, it is enough. So, it's hard to make a theology, but I've heard people say this. When you go out, you should go out with nothing. That's how he sent them out. Yeah, that's how he sent them out once. 
Then another time, he sent them out quite differently. So which one do you want to make a theology about? In other words, if our hands are empty, it's okay. He will care for us. If you have means, go ahead and take the means with you. And uh, uh, he sent them out. Now, now th- this thing of him telling them to even take a sword bothers a lot of Christians. So let me give you the Messianic interpretation. So Messianic Jews, they, they say this word sword in the Greek actually means small dagger. It's not a big, long military sword. It's a small dagger. And this is what people took on personal protection when they, they were going out on the night. When they were to preach the gospel, there was never to be a raising of their hand, but they had every right to defend themselves along the way and defend their belongings. If that bothers you, let me just tell you that that is a messianic interpretation. You have any interpretation you want. But lest you think that Jesus was speaking about a sword, meaning the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, it goes on down. They say, here are two swords. He says, that's enough. Bring them along. And remember that Peter used one of those daggers to cut off one of the, the, the servant of the high priest's ear? He didn't do that with a Bible. <laughs> All right? So he, he was carrying this dagger. So anyway, it, it's, we've we got to be careful about just making, making theologies, building things out of little statements. Okay, so in this case, he sent them out with nothing. So we're back in Luke chapter 10. He says, whatever house you enter, first say, peace, be to this house. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. But if not, it will return to you. So he says, this is what I want you to do. You're going to go two by two into the city. When you go into, the, into these little cities and villages, you're going to find a house. This was preparing a place for Jesus to stay when he was going to be coming into these villages. He wanted this to be all set up for his coming. Jesus could have taken care of all of this. He really could have. He could have just said to, like he said to Zacchaeus, come down out of that tree, I'm staying at your house, I'm going to eat, stay at your house tonight. And Zacchaeus said, yes sir, it's going to happen. Jesus could have taken care of this, but he allows us the opportunity to participate with him. It's like, like when my girls were little, I remember I was working on a car and they wanted to help me and I'd give them a screwdriver and they'd poke in at something. I'd say, wow, you fixed it, you did it. Jesus hands us the screwdriver and allows us to poke into something. He allows us to participate with Him. He really could have taken care of this all Himself. But He allowed them to go and to participate with Him in this ministry because He's training them for when He's departing. And He says, when you go to this house, you say, peace be to this house. He says, if a man of peace lives there, your peace will be upon him. Your peace will rest on him. But if not, it will return to you. What you say with your words as believers has a big effect when you say to somebody, God bless you, that has a big effect as a believer. You may not know it, but it has a big effect. You say, peace be to this house. Your peace, the peace that you bring of God, will rest upon this house if there's a man of peace there. This is what he's saying. Our words have a big effect. That's why we should be careful what we say. Your words have power. Life and death are in the power of the tongue, the scriptures say. Your words have power. So if you, all, if you go around, oh, I'm no good. I'm just terrible, 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 terrible. Your words have power. Your words have power. You may think something, but don't verbalize these negative things. Don't verbalize it because your words have power. And uh, um, so, so this is the type of thing that we, we have to remember. And then in verse 7 he says, 
Stay in that house, eating and drinking what they give you, for the laborer is worthy of his wages. So remember, you have no money. I'm sending you out with no money. You can't buy food now. When you go into that house, you, you eat what's put before you. Don't be saying, well, you know, I, I kind of like filet mignon tonight. No. Eat what's put before you. Don't complain about it. And uh, you're going to stay in that house. He says, he says um, do not keep moving from house to house. In other words, I don't want you guys to have a reputation that you're going from one house to another to another to another taking. He says, you stay in that one house. You're going to prepare this place for me. You're going to prepare that town for me. He says, he says the laborer is worthy of his wages. This person is coming to minister in the name of God. He's worthy of his wages. In other words, that food is your wages. They'll take care of you. We need to remember this. When there are missionaries coming in, we open our houses to them. They stay with us. We feed them when they're in our homes. We give them gas money to go on to the next place that they need to go on to. The laborer is worthy of his wages. If you have another job, you don't need those wages. This is for people that are full-time in ministry. If you have another job, you don't need it. But the laborer is worthy of his wages. When I get invited to these big churches to speak, you know, they always, I tell them, the only way that I will come to speak is if no offering is taken. I won't take any money. You can pay my way to get there. You can pay for the flight, but I'm not going to take anything because I say, leave that for people who are full-time employees of, 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 of the kingdom of God. I said, Rice University takes care of me. I don't need that. And, and uh, he says, the laborer is worthy of his wages. He says, don't keep moving from house to house. And in verse 8, whatever city you enter and they receive you, eat what is set before you. And heal those in it who are sick. And say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. In this instance, they were given extraordinary power. Who they prayed for was healed. You will see that this pattern in the early church, it was very vibrant, but through the apostles, through the twelve, it was quite vibrant. But through the rest of the church, it never had that sort of magnitude. And here we see he took the seventy and he also gave them that power in this instance. When the Lord was among them, he, they were demonstrating acts of healing that were unusual. That were unusual. God heals and we pray and we pray for God's healing. We do that. Then God decides whether he's going to heal or not. And if you say, oh no, that's a lack of faith. Okay, Mr. and Mrs. Faith, do this. We have the largest medical center in the world, just down the road from here. Go through the hospitals and pray for everyone, and let me know if everybody gets healed. Just clean them out. Clean them out. Just stand at the door of the hospital. Nobody even need go in if you have that much faith. But what I'm saying is God is the one who ultimately decides who he will heal and when he will heal. This is what we're up against. This is the reality. We are, we are implored to, to heal. We, we, we do this. I'm sorry, to pray for healing. But the healing ultimately is up to God. In this instance, everyone that they were going to pray for was going to be healed. And say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. He is, they are preparing the way for the Lord's coming. But he says, but whatever city you enter and they do not receive you, go out into the streets and say, even the dust of your city which clings to our feet, we wipe off and protest against you. Yet be sure of this, that the kingdom of God has come near to you. And Paul actually practiced this at one point in his ministry as well. 
But then he would return to these cities. He'd return to them. These cities aren't going to have another chance of Jesus returning. It's going to be this one visit, and that's it. He says, I say to you, it will be more tolerable in that day for Sodom than for that city. He says, if the city rejects the coming of the Lord himself, it's going to be more tolerable for Sodom. So we know that the, 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 uh, the judgment that came upon Sodom and Gomorrah, how, how fire came down from heaven. He says it's going to be more tolerable for those cities in the day of judgment than for that city that's rejected the Lord. You know what this tells us? It tells us that there are different severities in judgment. How could something be more tolerable or less tolerable if there weren't differences in severities in judgment? And so to think that that uh, uh, there is an equal penalty for all, is not a scriptural understanding. A scriptural understanding is that God, in His wisdom and in His justice, there are differences in judgment. He says it will be more tolerable in that day for Sodom than for that city. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the miracles had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, which occurred in you, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. So, so judgment came upon uh, uh, um, Tyre and Sidon. And he's saying that, that, that uh, uh, you're going to get more. Now, he has already proclaimed uh, curses upon Chorazin, upon Bethsaida. He's done this before. He, 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 he uh, denounced them before in, in uh, Matthew chapter 11, verse 20, we covered it. He is just underscoring it. The Lord was so much working in those cities. We have no reference of him ever going to Chorazin. But he must have. We have many references of him going to Bethsaida. And they rejected him. And he is, he is again talking about the curse that's going to come upon them. And then he, he says uh, in verse 14, But it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, remember, Capernaum is his home, home place where his ministry was where most of his ministry occurred, and they didn't receive him. And he says, you, Capernaum, will not be exalted to heaven, will you? You will be brought down to Hades. I mean, here is again, he has proclaimed now again a second time a curse on, on uh, Capernaum for the rejection of him. And uh, he talks about the, the destruction that they're going to get. Then he says, the one who listens to you, listens to me. The one who rejects you, rejects me. And he who rejects me, rejects the one who sent me. When I share the Lord with somebody, and they reject it, my heart breaks. Not for myself. Not for myself. My heart breaks for them. Because I know what they've rejected. My heart breaks for them. There are people that I have shared with for years. Family members, for years I have shared with them. And my heart so just goes out to them and I say, Lord, please, please let them not die. Let them live longer. Give me another chance to share with them. Lord, soften their hearts. Because I know that when they reject me, that I get over. Yeah, I, I feel bad for about five minutes. You've rejected me. I feel terrible. But I feel really bad for them. For them. This is the, 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 uh, the things that, that uh, uh, the, the penalties that are going to come upon them. Look in Matthew chapter 10. We saw something else. We, we had covered this before in Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10, reading from verse 40. Matthew chapter 10, verse 40. He who receives you receives me. 
And he who receives me, receives him who sent me. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. Look at this. Whoever receives a prophet in the name of a prophet, if a prophet comes and you receive them in the name of a prophet, you receive a prophet's reward. A prophet has a great reward serving God. You will re- be partakers in receiving of their reward if you receive that prophet. If you receive a righteous man, a righteous man comes and shares with you. If you receive what they say, you share in the blessing that's going to come on that righteous man. You share in that. Isn't that a good deal? I mean, they've labored pretty hard to be a righteous man. They've labored pretty hard to be a prophet. And you can share in their blessing by receiving them. That's a sweet deal. Missionary comes, given their life in service on the mission field. Receive them, and you receive a portion of the blessing that comes to them. Wow! Yeah, I'd like missionaries to stay in my house. That's a good deal. You see, it's, it, it, it's sort of like Amway. I mean, you get stick. You know, you're just all connected, you know, to all this blessing that just flows down. Look at what he gives us. And then he says in verse 42, And whoever, in the name of a disciple, gives to one of these little ones even a cup of cold water to drink, truly I say to you, he shall not lose his reward. I've mentioned this, and you think I'm kidding about it, but I'm not. Those who prepare the breakfast here for you are going to receive an enormous blessing. If a cup of cold water brings a blessing, how much more? A full breakfast. For those that are in the kitchen cooking for the lunch that you will eat, they receive an enormous blessing. If a cup of cold water, if a cup of cold water brings this great reward, he says, he shall not lose his reward, brings such a great reward, how much more? For week after week, cooking for the body of Christ. You get in and you roll up your sleeves and do the dishes week after week for the body of Christ. Think of what that reward will be. If bringing just a cup of cool water compared to just laboring for the body of Christ, there's great blessing. Now let's, let's move, move on back, back to uh, Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. And uh, I said that we were going to cover this, this other verse. He says, um, he says in verse 2, Luke chapter 10 verse 2, And he was saying to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Look, he says, pray. Pray. He says, the harvest is plentiful. Pray that God sends out laborers into the harvest. Pray. And look what he's doing. He's telling them to pray and to fulfill their own prayer. I'm sending you out. You pray God sends out laborers. Lord, send out laborers. Good. Okay. You. Go. 35 pairs of two. Go. You just prayed. Go. There is no problem with God fulfilling prayers through us. Praying that God would send out laborers into the harvest. God says, okay. You be the first one. You go. This is what He did. This praying... Praying that God does something is so important. Prayer is so important. 
if you ever think yourself so intellectual that you don't need to pray anymore, you've got an enormous problem. Jesus prayed. He said to His disciples, He went off and He prayed in the, in, in the Garden of Gethsemane. He says, keep watch for one hour. He came back and they were sleeping. He says, you guys couldn't even watch for one hour. If you need to prepare a Bible study, spend time in preparation. But then, after you prepare, if the Bible study is for 30 minutes, pray for at least 30 minutes. Just spend 30 minutes praying that God opens up the heart, that God gets a hold of your heart. Be mature in your walk, mature in your faith, and learn to pray. Learn to pray. The Bible is full of examples of how people prayed. And in almost every case, almost every case, not every case, in almost every case, they prayed on their knees. Both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. There was one time when, when, uh, um, when Solomon stood and he prayed. He first got on knees, his knees and then he stood and he prayed. David sat in the temple just absolutely overwhelmed on one occasion and he prayed. Other than that, they prayed in two, physically two forms, either on their knees or on their face. Now, I'm not teaching any doctrine here because the Bible doesn't say what position we need to be in when we pray. I'm just saying if you want to see what position, it is overwhelmingly they prayed on their knees. Jesus got on his knees and he prayed. When you are praying to do a work for the Lord, you give that time, whatever that work is going to be, if it's going to be a 30-minute ministry, Spend 30 minutes in prayer asking God to anoint and to fill. Let me, let me read you a, a, a few, few uh, examples of this. You know, it's interesting. I, I had sent uh, Pastor Roger something years ago, and uh, uh, he made reference to it today, and I was going to read directly from that, where Charles Spurgeon is writing about his prayer life and the prayer li- life, lives of uh, other people. He's, he, he, so, so here he is writing about uh, David Brainerd. David Brainerd, who was a missionary from, uh, in, 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 I, he died in 1742, something like that. So, so in, the, in the early to mid-1700s, he was a missionary to Native Americans, to the American Indians in Delaware. Uh, here here he, he's reading something from Brainerd's uh, diary. He says, could anyone wonder at Brainerd's success when his diary contains such notes as this? Quote, Lord's Day, April 25th. This morning spent about two hours in sacred duties and was enabled more than ordinarily to agonize for immortal souls. Though it was early in the morning and the sun scarcely shone at all, yet my body was quite wet with sweat. I mean, look at how the man prayed. This guy, David Brainerd, you think, oh, well, you know, when you get so old as Dr. Tour, then we'll pray. David Brainerd was your age. David Brainerd was a, was a student at Yale and he got thrown out of Yale because there was the, these guys were just getting lit up on fire because of different preachers that were coming through Yale. People like Jonathan Edwards. And the student body got so excited that they started saying things about the faculty and the trustees and the administration that they weren't spiritual enough. And so the rector of the university, the president of the university said, if any student says anything about the faculty or the the, uh, uh, administration or the trustees as being not quite very spiritual, they will have to make a public apology. On their second offense, they will be removed from the university. So so, uh, actually David Brainerd said of one of his professors that he has the grace of a chair. 
and and uh, uh, and then his second offense was that he said that the rector, the president of the university, should drop dead for putting such a penalty upon students who are proclaiming the truth. He denies having said that second one, but it was on that basis he was expelled from Yale. He couldn't become a pastor in the state of Connecticut because in order to become a pastor in the state of Connecticut, you had to have a degree from Harvard, Yale, or a European seminary. So he couldn't become one. So he went off to become a missionary to the American Indians. He had a little fellowship of of about 130 people, of 130 Indian converts. And his life, his life was the life that inspired William Carey, the missionary. His life, David Brainerd's life, was the life that inspired Jim Elliot. Jim Elliot has inspired many people's lives. And in fact, it was when I read through Gates of Splendor, Jim Elliot's life, his ministry to the Alka Indians in the 1950s. Just, you know, I was really inspired to go on with the Lord. So you see the effect of this man. This is how he prayed. Here, here uh, uh, um, Charles Spurgeon is going to speak about Martin Luther. Listen to Martin Luther's prayer life. Quote, the secret of Luther's uh, power lay in the same direction. Theodorus said of him, quote, I overheard him in prayer But good God, what life and spirit did he pray? It was with so much reverence as if he were speaking to God, yet with so much confidence as if he were speaking to his friend. My brethren, let me beseech you to become men of prayer. Great talents you may never have, but you will do well enough without them if you abound in intercession. This is what God is calling us to. He's calling us to pray. If we will abound in intercession, it will make up for any gifts we lack. You want fervency in your ministry? You want fervency in, 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 uh, in ministering of the Lord? You learn to pray. You learn to get on your knees and pray. You learn to grow up and fast and pray. You go without something and you pray. And God will fill you with power to minister. And you feel, well, I don't have that many gifts. You don't need gifts. If God fills you with power through prayer, you will excel. Learn to pray. So few people pray that you will stand out as being so vivid because you have learned to pray. Remember, learn to pray. If you're going to minister for 30 minutes, be sure you pray for more than 30 minutes for that time. That God so fills you. Lord, fill me, empower me, and hit the hearts by the Holy Spirit of God. Lord, turn the hearts, convert the hearts. Or else, You will become lethargic in your faith and you will do very little of any substance here on earth and you will be like most believers, maybe attending a church, but having no power. Paul said, I don't want to hear what you have to say, just show me your power. You can have all your theologies, but Paul said, show me your power. The power will come through prayer. Jesus said, beseech the Lord of harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Do that. He says, now you go. Let's pray. Abba, Father, you are so good. Your word is so great. Praise be to your name. Lord, I pray that you take these young people and you would so shake them that they would be moved to pray. And that like the 70 that were sent out, that they would accept the call to go, to go forward. That like David Brainerd went out 
Father, that you would so take these young people and send them out. That you would do a great work in their lives. And though that man, David Brainerd, died at the age of 29 of tuberculosis, Father, his life has had such an impact. Lord, I pray that you take these young lives, and however long or short they have in their lives, that you would use them greatly. Let them have a great impact, O Lord. And the grace of God be upon them. The grace of God be upon them. Lord, I pray that you would stir up within them hearts of prayer, that they would learn to pray and to seek your face. In the name of Jesus. Amen.